0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you're doing well today. Good to see you. Um, My name is Nick. Um, I'm the care pastor here at New City and just grateful that you're here. And if you're visiting, this is one of your first times with us. We're glad you found us. We're glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you. Um, And and again, it's always an honor uh, whenever I get to open up God's word and preach this morning. But before I jump in, I I just wanted to say um, we have an amazing church. Um, filled with amazing people that love the Lord, that sacrifice for others, that will lean close in hard moments, that will trust the Lord um, as they as they walk through whatever the Lord brings. And it's interesting as your care pastor, such a humbling position to lead in a church, such a privilege that I have um, to kind of work with our care teams and work with our staff, but to to have like a front row seats to people trusting and clinging to God in the midst of the hardest things in life, where really one of their, their prayers is just like, Lord, I, I'm just gonna trust you're gonna make me through, but I don't necessarily know how, but I'm gonna just keep trusting and getting to watch people trust the Lord as they walk through the fire, so to speak, or, or sit with a loved one who's passing away or getting that news of cancer and then going, what in the world are we gonna do? And yet we go, but Lord, for some reason, we know you're a part of this, but we're going to just trust you. I mean, it's just amazing. And to see God raise up people to pray, and I just am so grateful for Dale and for, for Beth to kind of lead in these initiatives, but we know there's so many more. And every week, we send prayer requests out, and people just rally, and they're praying, and they're sending notes. It's just been really fun um, to get to see God's church be the church. Um, and, and so anyway, I just, it's, it's inspiring when you see people who are marked by Jesus, follow him wherever he leads. Hey, um, if you're able, um, I'd love to invite us to stand and we're going to read the word of the Lord together today. We're going to be in Acts chapter nine, I'm going to read verses one to nine. Our, our, our passage will extend further, but I'm going to read just the first nine verses. And we'll be grateful if you follow along while I read the word of the Lord to us today. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested the letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. This is the word of the Lord to us today. You can be seated. Um, what a series to start the year off. With uh, experiencing God, I'm not sure again how the Lord's been using it to teach you, but the three words that kind of keep resonating with me as I sit and learn again from Henry Blackaby, from Pastor Chris, from Pastor Gabe, as we've walked through this series, is, is the word "seen." Seen to see God. And to trust that He's always at work. He's at work around us all the time. And and this series, what it's doing is helping me go, all right, I need to pay attention. So change the way I see. But then the word believing. And if the Lord's speaking and the Lord's engaging and the Lord's working and He's inviting you and me to to enter into His activity, to join Him in what He's doing, then it's like, all right, He wants me to know Him. He wants me to believe and then this next word that experiencing God is about following. It's about following him wherever he leads, wherever he takes, takes us. And, and, and so we've been walking through these realities of, of, of truth about when we experience God or when we're desiring to have these encounters with him, what's that, what's that mean? How do we do it? Where, where's he inviting us into? What do we, what's he asking of us? And this sixth reality, reality number six that we're going to walk through today says this. It says, here's here's our focus. You and I, we must make major adjustments in our life to join God in what He is doing. We must make major adjustments in our life to join God in what He is doing. Now, I can picture... or maybe invite you to picture with me that story, if you remember, in the Gospels where a man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. And Jesus kind of looks at him and kind of gives him a little bit of pause. and is like, do you really understand what the implications of what you're saying are? Because you saying you'll follow me wherever I go, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. And it kind of gives us this glimpse of like, these are the major adjustments. You must make major adjustments in your life to follow and to join God in what he's doing. Now, I like minor adjustments. (laughs) I like those adjustments. It's like every now and then, here and there. But but don't miss that, that first five words, major adjustments in our life. I mean, those are the ones that that hurt, those are the ones that are radical. Those are the ones that take and require sacrifice. And in following Jesus, yes, it will require adjusting your life to God. Or to say it another way, following Jesus does and will require change. Now, I get it. We don't like change, change is hard. Maybe we don't want to change, or maybe we don't want anyone telling us that we need to change. But think about the reality of this. This isn't just about anybody here we're talking about. Is that God is inviting you into me to follow him, to, to love him, to worship him. But it's going to require change. And at the heart of this reality, we come to these turning points in our life where the Lord is inviting us to see and participate in what he's doing. But in order to join him, we must be willing to make him the leader and thus be willing to follow him and adjust him wherever he leads us. So when we talk about following Jesus requires change, ultimately we can, we can name a lot, of, a lot of changes, but ulti- the ultimate change that I want to focus in on, that I think that this reality focuses in on today, is that it requires a change in leadership. Who's the leader of your life? You know, if you ever played the game follow the leader, it's hard to play that game if no one's following and sadly, we often ask Jesus to take our lead or to adjust to our way. There's these moments, I don't know if you've ever had these moments in church where I feel like the Lord will kind of convict me in, in times where I'll be singing a song or a phrase or we'll, we'll hear a bottom line and I'll go, yeah, that's true. And the Lord kind of pings my spirit where he's like, all right, it's, it's one thing to say it here in church on a Sunday morning, but will you live it? Will you adjust? Who's the leader? Because I, I, I do still like to have veto power. You guys, ever, you guys with me? Like, like we, we, we like to follow so long as we can have the veto power if I don't quite like where he's taking me or like what he's doing in my life or like where he's maybe nudging me. And many of us want a savior, but we still want to be our own God too. And if you, notice, if you think about it, we must, we must make the adjustments to follow God or he's not really God in our life. We are. We're still playing God in those roles. And it comes down to control. It comes down to his way versus our way. Henry Blackaby in his book, he'll, he'll say a, a longer quote like this. He'll say, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have no choice you will have to make significant alterations in your life. Following your master means going where he goes. And until until you and I are ready to make any change necessary to follow and obey what God has said, we will miss often the things that God wants to do through us and in us. And your greatest difficulty in following God may come at this point. So for many of us, our greatest difficulty in following him will come at this point where we have to choose, will I, am I willing to make an adjustment? Another quote by him, by Henry Blackaby, is this. "This is this, you can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. You see that in the life of Abraham? Abraham's like, I have, I have an amazing promise to you, Abraham, but you're going to have to leave your home and go. It happened. Moses couldn't stay. He's in the wilderness. Hey, you, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to use you. You got to go, though. The disciples, they couldn't stay. Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But I need to be the leader, and I won't make you unless you follow me so following Jesus requires us making him the leader, going where he goes and yielding our ways to his ways. But oftentimes in our lives, we come to these collision points. And in Acts chapter nine, we see this major and pivotal collision moment with Paul on the road to Damascus. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter nine, verses one through nine is where we're gonna start, but we'll go on a little bit further from there. But if you remember the story This is kind of Paul's origin story of sorts, right? Many of us know Paul as the the author of 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He's the author of the book of Romans that we've been studying as a church, um, where he's this master leader, teacher. Man, he has done so much for the church. But Paul, also known as Saul in our passage, Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Saul was a Pharisee. Paul was this up-and-coming leader, this religious leader, and he was the main antagonist and persecutor of Christians. We see him first come on the scene in Acts 7, so two chapters prior to Acts 9, where he was the one giving approval to the execution of Stephen. So he was the one who gave approval to the first martyr in church history. Stephen was the first person to die for his faith. And now in Acts 9, verse 1, likewise, Paul is uttering threats with every breath. I mean, just think about that phrase. Talk about passion, where he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And he goes to the high priest and he requests these letters to take to the synagogues in Damascus so that he can then arrest more followers. And actually it says, arrest any followers of the way. So in the passage, you'll see that this term for Christians was the people of the way. Because Jesus was the way. In the first and second century, this is how they're known. And so, and so if you're reading the passage, you'll get this interplay between the way, the followers of the way, and Paul is on his way. He's on his mission. And talk about one who was immersed in his way. where He's like, I'm going to stamp out this movement. That my way or his way was going to be the guiding compass for everything else. And he's leading the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders in this movement. And his way was coming right up against Christianity, and Christianity was in the way. But he meets Paul, but he meets the Lord on the road. God collides with Saul on the road to Damascus, and Saul has to make an adjustment. If you're looking at verse 3, a light from heaven suddenly shines down. Paul falls to the ground. He hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul. It's interesting how the Lord names him. So it's personal. He knows, he knows Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And, and, and this one who speaks, names himself as Jesus. This is the risen and glorified Christ. Appears to, to Saul. He says, Why are you, I'm the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And when we collide with God, when there's a collision of ways, who must make the change? We. We must make the change. Or else it'd be like, I mean, there's a, this image of like a, a boat arguing with a lighthouse for the lighthouse to make the change. Adjust your way. And the, if the boat doesn't adjust, It crashes. If we don't adjust, we miss, we'll, we'll, we, we limit what God wants to do. We choose to disobey, or we choose to walk against His way. And I wonder if you've ever had a collision with God? Or maybe you've had a moment where you and the Lord kind of meet and He's inviting you, "Hey, I'm the one you're looking for. Believe me." Or, "Hey, you know the way you're living right now?" It's not right. You know, you know that it's not my way and so I'm calling you to lay it down. Or you know, you know this, this moment right now where you're, you're wanting to respond one way? That's not my way. That's not love. That's not grace. That's, and so I'm calling you to, to lay that down to adjust and we have these collision moments with God and hopefully we're changed by them. Hopefully we don't harden our hearts or blind our eyes. But, speaking of blinding, after Paul meets Jesus, he is left blind. He's in shock and he needs his companions to lead him by the hand into Damascus where he stays for three days. Isn't it interesting, I was thinking about this this week, how the Lord, he could have set it up in so many different ways. I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He can create the story however he wants. And yet, the way he chose is that he chose to to make a way where Saul would have to need others. Think, think about Saul's life, his status, his, 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 his ambition. When was the last time you think Saul needed anybody? And yet, in God's sovereignty and plan, he put him in a place to need others. He's trying to teach Saul. And I would say for us that it's a good thing whenever we're reminded that we need others. But the story brings us to another collision of ways. It just doesn't stay with Paul or Saul. There's this other collision that happens with a man named Ananias. So if you're looking with me at the passage, look at verses 10 through 19. And you see the Lord invites Ananias into the story. This man named Ananias that we don't know much about except that he was a believer. He lived in Damascus. He was a godly man, scripture says, and he was devoted to the law. But this is the only story in the Bible that he appears. And the Lord speaks to him in a vision and says, Ananias, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. That's verses 10 through 12. And and just think about this idea of the Lord's appearing to Ananias in a vision... And at the same time, he's doing that, Paul's praying to him. And the Lord's already shown Paul a vision of this one that he's appearing to now. It's just, it's just amazing. And, and what's this teach us about the Lord and about prayer? I mean, it's pretty incredible that, in, that God is orchestrating multiple things in real time. He's hearing prayer and answering prayer all at the same time. Somebody was, we were talking this week and just, just kind of in awe that the Lord the Lord's doing thousands of things. And you and I maybe only get a maybe we're seeing 3 of them. <laughs> Whatever the number is, you know, like but he's doing so many things. It, hopefully it enlarges our vision, our view of who God is and how he works in so many amazing ways. Now Ananias was not ignorant to who Saul was. I'm sure he had heard the reports of the persecution, I'm sure that the, the news about Stephen's death had to come. I'm sure he knew that persecution was on its way. And so you can, you can imagine how Ananias must be thinking and feeling when he gets this vision where the Lord's saying, hey, go talk to this man. And Ananias has a little crisis of faith. And if you look at verses 13 and 14, you know, the Lord, Ananias says, but Lord, I've heard about this man and about the terrible things that this man has done. And a collision of ways happens. Where if Ananias had his way, he probably would just stay content right where I am. But the Lord comes and they they meet. But I know that, I mean, Ananias could be thinking things like, man, I've heard stories. I don't want to die. Um, this doesn't appear to be wise, Lord. Um, this is just too much. I don't know if I signed up for this. I mean, you can you can even see him backing up a little bit. And yet... And yet, listen, God is so gracious. Our crisis moments, those crises of faith moments, the Lord's big enough. He wants us to bring all those questions to him, but he's big enough to shepherd us through them. And he responds to Ananias and he says, I, I know it all. He doesn't rebuke him, but he just says, I, I, I got this. I need you to Go. And I, I, Saul's my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to take it to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. But you need to go. And Ananias obeys. And he goes and he finds Saul and talk about a major adjustment. And he obediently makes his way over to straight to a straight street. He lays his hands on Paul. He actually is the first one to call him brother. Ananias affirms and, and, and again just reminds him of, of the Lord's appearing and his calling in his life. And he even gets to witness the Lord taking the scales off of Paul's eyes. I love how a theologian, F.F. F. Bruce, he writes about this scene and he says, So Ananias enters and leaves the narrative and we know nothing more of him. But as Saul's first friend after his conversion, the first follower of Jesus to greet him as brother, as well as the one who faithfully bore the Lord's commission to him, Ananias has an honored place in sacred history and a special claim on the gratitude of all who in one way or another have entered into the blessing that stems from the life and work of the Apostle Paul. And I would say that you and I, every one of us in this room, are connected in some way to this story because of Ananias' willingness and faithfulness. And it just it's, it's reminds you, again, how the Lord just invites people in. I love stories like Ananias' because I can relate to the fears, I can relate to the hesitancies, I can relate to the doubts. Why, like, Lord, you can surely send somebody else, right? Yet it reminds me, though, of the impact of simple obedience. Hey, it's not too complex. I've actually laid it all out for you. I'm, going to, I'm just simply asking you to go, to be faithful, to show up. Um, I, I want to use you in the story. And it's going to require faith, yes. It's going to require adjustment, yes. But what you'll see is amazing. And it's interesting when you think about the way the Lord scripts stories, consistently what you see is he is always inviting you and me into stories. He's inviting people into the story, choosing to give us front row seats to what he's doing, but he doesn't need to do it. He doesn't need us. In John chapter 2, he turns water into wine, but he chooses, he has servants fill the jugs with water. He didn't, he could have just made the water appear. He raises Lazarus from the dead, but he chooses people. says, hey, you take the grave clothes off. He he feeds the 5,000 and he wants the disciples to have a front row seat to to participate in it. But he didn't need it, just like Ananias. He didn't need that use, Ananias. He could have just healed him. And yet he chooses to because he wants us to see. He He wants us to believe deeply. He wants us to keep giving him glory to go, you can use us. You don't need us. But he does. So that we might continue to fall after him. Listen, God purposely places people in your life that need you. We saw that in the story. That story, the video, is from a, um, a woman in our church named Tia Burse. She's amazing. But just to see her st- a real, real authentic story of man, this is still hard, but I'm gonna trust you. But I got to a place where I just, I, I knew I, I needed others. And whenever we're in a place where we need others, when we say, "Ah, God, or even change our vision, that there's people in here, there's people in your neighborhood, there's people at your workplace that need you, it changes the way you see. Paul was in need and Ananias was willing. And you got to participate in something amazing. Now, in these last couple of minutes that I have, I want to just highlight four truths about these collision adjustment moments. where where a collision happens and, and it causes the adjustment. And here's the first truth I want you to see is that every collision equals God inviting you. Every collision equals God inviting you to follow him, to obey him, to trust him. Listen, life in general, I know, is, is, is filled with decision points every day. We have, we're choosing where am I going, what am I doing, how am I going to operate, what's my attitude going to be like, where am I going to spend my energy. What? But the Christian life likewise, don't miss this, the Christian life likewise is filled with multiple collision moments Every day where the Lord, when I say collision moment, it's really about this interaction where as you walk following Jesus and as you walk guided by the Holy Spirit and you're attentive to his work in your life, you have these moments with the Lord in the quietness of your heart or these, 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 these convictions or encouragements where he's like guiding us. And you have these multiple moments where he's going, hey, this, this way. Or, or don't 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 think that way. Or moments where I'm I'm acting one way, or I'm my heart's angry, or my heart is hard, or I want to chase after my way, my ego, my treasures, and where we con- consistently feel the Lord go. No, I have something greater. <laughs> will you will you adjust? I want to show you something over here. Or the more we walk with Jesus, we realize hey, lots of lots of things now in the Christian life that. My old ways are dead to me, but I now live my life in faith in Jesus, and so now I have a new leader. And so every moment, every collision equals God inviting us to keep chasing after Him. I'm not sure what your story is with collision moments, but man, I can name multiple. Where I remember the Lord inviting me as a high schooler to change what I was listening to, and I had to lay down <laughs> in a way, like all this music I had purchased and invested in, and the Lord was going, that's not what you should be listening to. Or what movies and shows I was watching, or moments where I told a lie to somebody, and the Lord just convicting and convicting and convicting and saying, you need to go tell that person you lied to them. It's a collision moment, where he's inviting me to follow him and trust him. Where there the, were moments where, I'm prompted to, even though I'm tired and worn out, to serve somebody. And I'm going, no, oh, but I don't want to do that. And he's like, no, but that's, that's what I'm calling you to do. Or when I feel the direction of the Holy Spirit around a temptation in my life. And the Lord's saying, that's, you need to resist. That is not for me. That is the sinful nature. You need to walk away. And that's a collision moment. The Lord's saying, again, I'm inviting you. Follow me. Trust me. Don't, don't give in. You need to, Nick, you need to choose to behave different than the rest of the, the people in your family or the rest of the people in your workplace or the rest of the people in your class at school because, because I feel the Lord's calling me to act and live differently. Right, those are collision moments. And who will we submit to? Who will we surrender to? Who will we yield to? And here's the next truth that God wants every area of our life. When the Lord calls us to follow him, he wants every area, our relationships, our actions, our words, our commitments, our priorities, our loves. He wants every area. And it shouldn't be abnormal to think this way. It shouldn't shouldn't be a shock that the Lord, the God, the creator, the one who is king should say, hey, I want full reign in your life. Where he says, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. Well, that's all. Not parts. Now, graciously, man, the, the more we walk with Jesus, the more we go, I will willingly surrender more and more to you. Hopefully all to you. Because I know how gracious and because I know your love. But God wants every area of our life. Here's the third truth. Adjustment is always linked to Obedience. In each collision moment, as the Lord invites us to adjust, they will always be linked to obedience. Will I obey? Will I relinquish my way? Obedience, as somebody says, begins in the heart as a willingness to do whatever God says. So maybe that's where you go, Lord, will you help my heart? Help my heart be willing. Another word to think about here is the word yield. Yield. Adjustment is always linked to obedience or yielding, to give way to the Lord. To give way to God's word, to God's will, to God's plan, regardless of how difficult that may be. So maybe you're walking through a crisis right now and there's moments where you gotta go, Lord, I, I just, I'll choose to yield to your plan. Maybe, maybe you're asked to obey. Something the Lord's placed in your heart. And you go, all right, Lord, I'll choose to obey. I'll choose to yield. In the Gospels, in Mark chapter 8, there's this key discipleship passage where the crowd comes to, to Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. There's that idea of yielding, of adjusting. But listen to this, verse 35. But if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. If you try to give up, you need to give up your attempt to save yourself. Give up your attempt to find life in this world or in your ways. If you can give that up, I'm going to lead you to life that's so much greater. And I'm gonna, you're going to find life. And so here's the fourth truth. Obedience is always worth the cost. I do think sometimes we have a negative connotation with the word obedience, where we have this negative image of someone exerting their power over me, exerting their, or taking from me, or limiting me. Or almost like, it's like this, like we have this, we could have this thought, man, God's just this, this one taking from me. And yet, I just want you to know that a collision, a collision of ways with God is never meant to hurt or take from you. It's always meant to give. It's always meant to enlarge your vision. That when we yield to him, when we surrender to him, he's inviting us into what's good and what's true. Because Jesus is always wanting to take us somewhere better. He's wanting to show us that the way, that his way will always lead the life or adventure or purpose or love or mercy. That's what he wants to do with Paul. He's like, Paul... You, you're going this way. I'm going to show you something even greater. Ananias, I know you would, you would stay here, but hey, listen, over here is this, and he's doing the same thing with you and me. He's inviting us in. So the challenge today for you and to me is to go, Lord, I want to lean into these. I want to be willing. I want to trust you because, as our bottom line You must make major adjustments. I must make major adjustments in my life to join God in what he's doing. As I close, um, I just want to put some response questions up on the screen for us. I wonder if you think about these, pray through them this week. Is What is God asking you to adjust in your life? Maybe there's one thing. As you sit here, you're like, Lord, what are you asking me to adjust in my life? And then, and then maybe maybe ask yourself the the follow up question like is what's what's maybe keeping me what's what's maybe causing me to resist. But that last question, the more you think about those moments when you did actually yield in your life and you saw the Lord graciously meet you, it just fuels more obedience. It fuels like yes, this is the way. Why am I why am I fighting? Why am I resisting? Why am I weary? And so the worship team is going to come back out. Um, I just challenge you to reflect on those. And even as we stand and we sing um, in, that, in that last song, there will be prayer people, prayer from, people from our prayer and care team, we have the yellow lanyard on, um, that will be, be around, even during that song, if you want to slip out and go to the back, they'll be in the back. Because sometimes we just need others to help us pray. Lord, we need to bring kind of, we got to just kind of maybe say it out loud and just helps us to know and they would love to pray a prayer blessing over you even during the song um, as well. So anyway, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love, for inviting us into the story. Thank you, Father, for choosing to use people like us or at least giving us these glimpses. God, it's all your plan. It's all you at work. But Lord, help us to would you work in our life right now? Holy Spirit, would you give a, open our eyes or, or bring us deeper and more f- further in to experiencing who you are? We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen.